0: Father, we thank you for this time together, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the weather, the beauty of this day, we thank you that you have ordained for us seasons and times, and they each have their own unique joys and uh, trials. We thank you that you're sufficient in all of it, and you're displayed in your beauty in all of it. Lord, I pray as we approach uh, this second chapter in Leviticus that Your Spirit would do what only He can do, which is to give us wisdom and discernment in understanding Your Word and to impress upon our hearts the need not just to have knowledge, but to live it out. That He would be our... um, That he would be our our power in working through this salvation that you've given us. And that we would come to grips with our own uh, failures here. And rest at the cross of Christ. And get up and run the course like we're supposed to. We pray that as we study this chapter, again the beauty of Christ would be shown to us. And our need of him would be shown to us again and again and again. Thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week... I'm sorry, I I do. Last week, we discussed the burnt offering. and, And we looked at the idea that God initiates the meeting and provides a solution to the problem. How does a holy God dwell in the midst of an unholy people? And the whole system is designed to show the first step in God's plan to recreate a a human community. He saved them first. We saw that in Exodus. He brought them out of Egypt um, to live in a right-ordered community. And that's what we're seeing in Leviticus, a right-ordered community. Uh, We're not given rules to come out of Egypt. We're brought out of Egypt to live as a new humanity, a kingdom of priests. So we see that in uh, in Exodus and now into Leviticus, what was the solution that God provided that we saw in chapter one? What was the solution? What did He do? What did He give them to allow them to live in the presence of a holy God? A non-discriminating way to what do you mean by that? There was a way for the wealthy lower point. it applied to everyone and God in his grace allowed everyone to participate regardless of their financial means good and the, and the means was uh, the means of his atonement came in the form of what sacrifice. a sacrifice and remember we talked about how the sacrifice was um, a, 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 a transmission kind of idea where there was a they put their head on on the body of the victim of the sacrifice to show, my sin being transferred, and, and specifically the burnt offering, my sin nature being transferred to the animal that's being sacrificed. Alright. It's a substitutionary sacrifice to atone for sin. Let's look, at, let's look at the second chapter here. Look for similarities and look for differences. There's one big obvious difference, but, but there's still some similarities I think we need to look at. Chapter 2, verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord... His offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. He shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar. A food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering, pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain, no grain offering that you, shall, that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt." You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil. With all of its frankincense, it is a food offering to the Lord. Well, while very interesting and kind of unusual to work through, what in the world is this about? What do we have here? What's different here than what we saw in the burnt offering? First, the obvious difference it's grain. You don't have to slit the throat of grain. That's a good thing in this offering. Let's go with the grain offering. What else is different? Ah, there's a portion that's given to the priest. Good. What else? There's a lot of details on how to prepare it and differences in preparing Yeah, the animal's one way you cut it, you get the blood, you splash it on the altar. This one, you've got all different types of grain offerings. There's grain on the griddle, grain in the pan, grain in the oven, grain in the hand. Right? You've got all kinds of grain, all kinds of ways to do this. I've been reading way too much Doctor Zeus lately. I'm so sorry. The first section here, verses one through three. Um, well, just in general, this this grain offering. It doesn't really bring it out here, but later on we'll see that it is coupled with a lot of different things. It's usually coupled with a burnt offering. And it's kind of why we think that they put the the grain offering right after the burnt offering is most often that you see the two together. And the idea is the burnt offering is one of acceptance. My nature is one of sin. God accepts me. Here's the sacrifice for that. And then the next step is the, the bread or the grain, which is considered to be an offering of sanctification or consecration. Um, it's a meal. It's a picture of a meal. Many times the Hebrews, when they ate, they ate meat and bread. That's considered the meal. And so here, sacrifices, a food offering to the Lord. You don't have meat without bread. And we're going to have the same kind of idea with God. Um, The first section here, 1 through 3, lays out just the formal ritual of the offering that applies to the rest of the chapter. It, it, it lays out three component parts here. What's the fine flour? What are we talking about here? What is that fine flour? It's unblemished, it's unblemished flour. Would you think it would be cheap uh, on, on the bottom row at Brookshire's? Uh, you know, $1.99 for a, a, a bag. Or, or, or fine flour would be more expensive? Just set up that question for the answer that I expect would be more expensive, thank you. In fact, it's very expensive, and the way they do it is through a, a real intricate process to get it unblemished. And it's this kind of flower that you expect to be given to a king. And what you have here is a component of the grain offering that is mirroring, uh, mirroring a a, <laughs> a uh, wow um, a, a, a a gift to a great a greater king. They're bringing a, an offering to the greater king. Yes. I can't help but see the parallels in the way that we tithe it today. It's a, a sanctification thing that we do over time. It's apportioned. It's from what we earn and mm. what we have. Mm. Some some people have made that connection. Yeah, it's a consecrated deal. It's it has similar idea there to uh, to the offerings that we give today, um, speci- specifically because it, it's a major source of food for the priest. This, this grain offering. Um, if you're going to bring grain or bread, bring the best. And that's the way it, it, this, this whole passage, or this first section is structured. It's a payment of a tribute to someone greater. <clears throat> Just for grins, uh, what's the amount that we're talking about here? Does it say? Nope. But in other places, generally when it talks about grain or flour, it's talking about a tenth of an epha. Just so you know, it's a tenth of an epha. I just want to Now the smart guys have come up with a range of what this might be. We don't know, but in modern terms, they think it was between 8.8 cups to 16.3 cups. <laughs> I don't know how they figure this out. But but some of, the majority of them think it's on the lower end of the spectrum, 8.8 <laughs> cups that's what an efa a ten efa a tab of an IFA is an 8.8 8 cups. so i guess an efa would be 88 cups doing my math cuz i'm smart like that that's i think is that right yes that is right okay yes 88 cups all right so they think it's most of people uh, the smart guys think it was closer to the lower end of that amount what's this oil why have oil here Why not water? Yeah. That, that's exactly what was for anointing. For anointing. Oil's for anointing. It makes it holy. Um, was there anything magical about the oil? I mean you can buy it Lifeway right now. It's a little vial you can get, you rub it on your head, I'm sure it'll make you What? What is? The, what is? The, what is, the, what is, the, what is, the, is there something magical there the oil? Why the we Why oil we have oil here? Functionally, it may be an issue of burning. I know oil helps things to do that. But, but ceremonially, it's, it's it's a big deal. Ceremonially, it's a big deal. It's It's expensive. It's part of the pleasing aroma. Okay, and the fragrances is another element of it. But but the oil helps with the burning. It helps with the smoke part of it. God says it's holy. He determines that it's holy. The oil itself is just oil. But God declares it holy. And it is. And that's the only significance of it. What about frankincense? Why was it important? What what is frankincense? The NIV translates as incense, which is too general. Frankincense is a specific tree in Arabia that you get, and it's very expensive to get. Um, it's, it's a gift given to a king, and we see this again in the in the narrative of the birth of Christ. the the um, the three supposedly three wise men. We'll just say wise men because we don't know how many there were. There's just three gifts, but the, it, again, it's an offering to a king that is very expensive uh, and, and very difficult to get, and so they use this in their in their grain offering. But why is it important here? I think that yeah. I'm not really sure about that, but in this, in this, in this setting, it's an it's a it's an aroma that's burnt with the combined with the oil. It's burnt, and there's an acknowledgement again of how great God is. But you're a good point here, because consider the context in which we're doing this. What do these people do for a living? They traveled. They got paid to travel, and they were what? They they were herders of what? We're talking about the priests. We're talking about the people in general who are coming in to bring the offering. What 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 did they do from Jacob onward? They were shepherds. They traveled with sheep and goats. Right? Now, many of us are removed from that situation. Many of us don't understand and think, oh, Heidi in the hills in the Alps or whatever with the goats. With curds and whey, you know. Goats stink. They smell. And the boys smell worse than the girls. They're nasty creatures. And you got your hands on them, and you're having to feed them, and you're having to take care of them. You having to see, oh, they got a thorn in their hoof. Try not to get horn, and try to get to dig out the stuff in their hoof. And what happens to people who live among livestock all the time? They smell like them. I have a, I have a car. I know it's crazy, and and I, I was taking a the remnants of a wild hog we shot from, from Philip Dancy's house to, to... I had the remainders of it in an ice chest. And I was being real quick about this and I put it on top of a row of... Um, a row of uh, water bottles that I got. We were given some, some kind of thing. So I put the th- ice chest... I, 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 basically, I violated Redneck Rule 101, which is don't put your wild hog remnants on top of stuff in your in your car because what you would think happened happened. And it happened bad. I'm going down our road. I make a stop. The, the ice chest goes, right? In the back. And I'm hearing this from the front. And I hear, and I'm like, oh, no. No, it didn't. And I go back there and sure enough, the 70 gallon ice chest that had dissolved ice with hog. Five day old remnants spilled all in the back of my car. In the carpet, under the seat, under the thing, down in the deal. I know when somebody says hogwash, that's what they mean. <laughs> I know that intimately. So when when we got home, I got home, I I would ah! and I ran into the house and I got towels, which I was non-discriminating with which towels I got, which was not a good idea, and then I got the shop vac, by the way, let me tell you something, I got the shop vac, and and I'm doing the thing, I'm cleaning it out, I'm doing everything I can, because I know it's coming. It's summertime, and the living won't be easy in that car this summer, because it's going to stink, and it took a day, one day. I, at the end of the day, after doing the shot back and all this stuff, I did baking soda. I got for bees about a like gallon, and I'm spraying it all in there. And and it took a day. And then the next day, the kids are like, "Daddy, I don't want to ride in your car. We'll just walk to Tyler." You know. <laughs> it stank. It stank. You have to say it with a sh because it stank. And so it was awful. And and so the only thing that we found to help with that. Was one of those little trees that you hang on the back mirror. Because if you can't fix it, you should cover it. You up. should cover it up. And so we we got the tree and we tried vanilla. And I didn't, you know, it says pull it down a little bit by week. And I just ripped the whole thing off, you know. And it was completely open. And so now when the kids ride in my car, and Tammy said it this morning, oh, I meant to take my car. She said this morning because we're going to show up at church. Now we've moved on from vanilla to peach. We're going to show up smelling like peaches. The smell gets on you. Would you rather smell like hogwash? Or would you rather smell like peaches? That's the, that, frankincense covers the stank, And it's appropriate because they're going into the presence of God and they're unholy. It's a statement of, you're greater than me, I, I'm, I stink and I need to be covered by something to come into your presence. This is uh, why this is there. Incense masked the odor of the people and made them acceptable by a pleasing aroma to the Lord. We talked about that last week. The pleasing aroma as a, as a statement of acceptance. What's this memorial portion for? In memory of what? Who's remembering what? You take, they take a piece of it and they, they throw it on the fire as a memorial portion. What is that about? Why are they doing that? What does it say? What does it say? It says is the Mm hmm. And, and what does it say? Why? Pleasing aroma, aroma, okay. fire? Mm hmm. It's not in this section, is it? it. What's <laughs> memorial? What are we memoring? What are we remembering by the memorial? Exiting slavery. Okay? There's two schools of thought here. We are memorializing, each time we do the grain offering, God's remembrance of his people. Did God forget? <coughs> Does God forget? No. no. Why are we memorializing God's remembrance of his people? Whose benefit is that for? For whose benefit is that? Everyone's. Everyone's. What do you mean by that? If God doesn't remember his people, then he doesn't protect them and keep them safe or give them the promised land. Right. They're remembering that God remembers and provides and cares for his people. What's the other side of that? Who also is charged to remember? Only two parties. Well, they have the, the covenant, right. So both sure. Right. There's a covenant, there's two parties, the covenant, God remembering his people to provide and care. He's the great king. The people are to remember what? That he, for that he provides for them, that he cares for them and also the law, the, the, law, the you said it, I think obedience. obedience to the duties of under the covenant. It's a two-sided thing. It describes God's care and favor toward His people and it also describes the people's remembrance that they are under obligation to be obedient to the great King. Notice also that we have another symbol of substitution here. Only a portion is burnt on the altar as a memorial portion. It's an idea of substitution. Um, It's a pleasing aroma. It's accepted by God. And this is all that the priest does in the sacrifice. This is all he does is a memorial portion, puts it on the altar. The worshiper brings the prepared offering and the priest burns a portion on the altar. And as we said before, this is a major food provision for the priests. They didn't have any land or crops. They lived off of the portion that they received from the offerings. Uh, later, we'll see some of the other sacrifices. They get portions of meat as well. Um this offering was only to be eaten in the restricted area of the tabernacle or the temple and was forbidden to their families and servants. And we'll see that again in Leviticus 6. The priest portion of the grain offering is called the most holy part. Literally in the language, the ho- a holy of holies. A holy of holies, which may only be eaten by a holy people. So this consecrated bread can only be eaten by people who consecrated to eat it. You see the connection. Verses 4 through 10, quickly, we talked about the different types of cooked grain and it talks about the various forms of that, but the structure is the same as verses 1 through 3. It just provides for the different ways to cook the grain. And in each of these, the worshiper prepares and brings the offering to the priest who then burns a portion on the altar and later we'll see that um, that when a priest uh, brings a grain offering that is cooked on a griddle, the whole thing, because of griddle, because you burn the whole thing up. I do that regularly on the griddle, by the way. That's just another side note. You burn the whole thing up. Uh, these cooked grain offerings introduce the idea of no leaven. No leaven, which is described a little bit more in 11.12. In, in so let's look at 11.12. You see a universal negative there? No grain offering. And it's talking about... The burnt offerings, not the donations like the tithes, which will not be burned. It says no grain offering here. um, That there should be no no leaven. What does yeast or leaven do to bread? What does it do? Makes it rise. Makes it rise. It ferments it, causing. Basically, yeast is a living organism, right? And it eats the sugar that's in in the flour, and the the reaction between the living organism devouring the sugar that's in the flour causes gas to get in the bread and causes it to rise. That's that's the stuff, you, the package you buy at Brookshire's. They didn't have that. They had starter kits like Friendship Bread starter kits. This is what they worked on. Those horrific things that you have to take care of forever. That was their life. They kept starters going. Lots of friends, lots of bread, lots of gas. So there it is. Uh, it puffs up Making it look like something different than it actually is. Why not burn leaven or honey? Why not burn leaven or honey? Levin or Vatican, symbol sin. Of corruption, of sin, something different, a foreign element. There's several theories on why not. We don't know. It didn't tell us. He said not to have it. He said not. Well, ultimately, yes. It's it's kind of a sign or symbol of corruption. It's a sign or symbol of something foreign causing what you put it in to be different than it was originally made. So there's this order and chaos idea. Um, it, um, it, it's also a living organism and only dead things were to be burned. That's another another option there. Um, all of these are speculation, by the way. We just don't know. Wasn't this also, I mean, did this, did this point back to the remembrance of how they left Egypt and that they had to the leave quickly? And- well, I think Passover does. Passover does. This is a general grain offering. But yes, yeah, so if you're going to do grain, uh, uh, that unleavened bread points back to Passover as well. Um, what about salt in verse 13? You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Notice the repetition. Is salt important here? There's a repetition. Why? What does salt do? It preserves. preserves. Can we say it preserves what is decaying, maybe? With the meat, that's especially true. Uh, It got to be an idiom, and they use it here, the salt of the covenant. It got to be an idiom that whenever you talked about uh, having salt with someone, that that it, it refers to cutting covenant. That that became kind of the thing. Um, Whether meat or grain, the salt and the sacrifices reminded Israel of God's constant covenant faithfulness. His constant covenant faithfulness. It also reminded them of their covenant obligations. Again, there's that idea of mutual uh, party responsibility in the covenant. Jesus says that we're the salt of the earth. And salt is generally rubbed into the meat to preserve it and that's a messy business here it's put in the grain and with the grain offering but you, you cannot be salt if you're withdrawn from the community Christ calls us to be salt we can't do that apart from what we're supposed to be about preserving there's a real temptation I think to do that these days we've got a lot going on and so the idea is to ghetto up to, to have our own little Christian circles and not be in the culture, right? So, if we're going to be salt, we've got to be rubbed in. We've got to get messy. You cannot be salt if you are withdrawn from the community. One grain of salt is useless. Salt must be applied to something to season and preserve it. Notice also that although salt is rubbed into the meat to preserve it, it's still distinct, And though it's put in this grain offering, it's still distinct. When Jesus talks about if salt loses its flavor, what's he talking about? It's no longer distinct. It's taken on the flavor of the meat that's decaying, it doesn't do its work anymore. It's useless, it's absorbed the culture and there therefore has no reason other than just to be thrown out maybe use it to burn out the edging around the garden you know so you don't have to weed eat but it has no more use if it takes on the character of what it's trying to preserve and so this is a remembrance of the covenant between God and Israel it's also a remembrance between our covenant with Christ are we distinct How are we like salt? They know that we are disciples by our love for one another. And this piece is shown in our speech as well as our actions. To follow the king's commands is to reflect the king's character. To not follow the king's commands is a rebellion against his character, a statement that he does not have a worthy character, and what we are showing is in fact better than his character. Do we reflect the King. Are we distinct? Verses fourteen through sixteen go into the last portion here on a particular ceremonial feast, and we'll get to that in chapters twenty in chapter twenty three, called the Feast of Weeks. Um, but just notice that it follows the the same procedures that we saw in verses one through three. All right, that's the grain offering question. I feel like. Dwight uh, uh what is the first recorded grain offering in Scripture? Cain, isn't it Cain? Yeah, Genesis four. It's Cain. Um, scripture doesn't tell us anything that Cain did wrong in the grain offering. God's rejection of Cain's offering wasn't a procedural rejection. It's not that he forgot the oil. It's not that he forgot the frankincense. It's not that he didn't have salt. It wasn't like grain is less good of an offering than the lamb. In fact, we see in Leviticus that this portion is a very important offering. It's one of the better offerings of, of bread in the Levitical system. What was wrong? Cain knew all the procedures. He knew all the ways to do it. It was the heart. It always goes back to the heart. In my head, I, I wonder um, I wonder if Cain could even quote the catechism that Adam taught them when they were kids on why they needed sacrifice in the first place. You know? In what condition did God make Adam and Eve? You see them over the fire. You know? Cain responds, He made them holy and happy. Did Adam and Eve stay holy and happy? No. <laughs> they sinned against God. What does every sin deserve? The anger and judgment of God. They they know the doctrine. They lived the consequences of sin very immediately. He knew exactly what Why to sacrifice? I wonder if Cain even corrected Abel as a child on his view of doctrine. No, no. Dad said this. Get it right. But when it came down to it, even though he knew the stuff, he didn't really know anything except the pride of his own heart. That heart that probably knew all the doctrine called his brother out into a field alone. And when he was alone and helpless, killed him. You know all the stuff. And then, when he gets called out by by God, the faithful witness to all that we think or do, it didn't phase him. It didn't even phase him. Only the consequences affected him, not the state of his own heart. I'm not my brother's keeper. He shouldn't have been so stupid to go out in the field with me anyway. We can know all this stuff. The systematic theology, the church history the creeds and confessions, if it's just knowledge, it puffs up with empty gas. We become windbags. Things that are full of hot air pop really easily when they meet with resistance or temptation. I get very concerned in our circles that we spend so much time on head knowledge and learning creeds, and learning confessions, and learning the theology, that it doesn't sift into the heart? Does it get into the heart? Is it transforming us? Or are we just becoming useless salt? I fear that many times we talk like Pharisees and live like Sadducees. We use the language of despising the world but live the lives of accommodating and embracing the world. We're not consecrated by knowledge. And knowledge certainly doesn't give us the right to live however we want. If you love me, you obey my commands. If you don't, you won't. Above all, pursue holiness without which no one, no matter how much they know, Will see the Lord. It's a sacrifice of consecration. It's a sacrifice of being set apart, distinct. We must be about Christ, not only learning about Him, but from the heart, loving, honoring, and treasuring Him above all things. God provides His own offering of consecration. He provides our bread and the bread is Christ from start to finish he satisfies and although we are justified individually we are brought out of Egypt and put into a community whose focus is Christ he is our portion 1 Corinthians ten seventeen says because there is one bread we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread how do we do that? how do we take of the one bread? How are we sanctified? Well, what did Jesus say? What did he pray? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Is that just knowledge? No, it's not just knowledge. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Not to become part of it. Not to become little parrots of theology. To live lives of distinct holiness. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Do we take the bread of his word and add our own leaven? It's just not enough. Our excuses for why we can act like atheists when we talk so much theology. It is true. That leaven in the New Testament is likened to the idea of works righteousness. We see that a lot. It's also true that it's a picture of hypocrisy. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, Jesus said. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 5, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. What is he saying? Be who you are in Christ. Not in word, but also in deed. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. How do you display sincerity? We get truth. What is sincerity? It's living it out. There's knowledge, there's understanding, and then there's wisdom. You can have knowledge and be a big fool. We have upon us the stench of sin and we need the fragrance of Christ. Christ masks our stench so that, as Paul says, for through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Ephesians 5.2, it says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Because of what He has done, We are to spread the fragrance of Christ. None of us is able to do this alone and apart from the context of community in Christ. Do we bring others to the bread of life and display that he is our portion above all else? Do we pursue holiness and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ to do the same? This holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Are we full of his sanctifying word and are we the fragrance of Christ in the minds of a sinful And dying humanity. When we step out these doors, we bear the name of Christ. If we're sanctified, we've been covered in His oil, we've been covered in His fragrance, we've been given the salt of His covenant. What we do reflects Him. What we do to each other, we do to Him. If you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. How we act betrays the content of our heart. It's a consecration sacrifice. Are we consecrated to Him? 2 Corinthians two fourteen 14-16. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? I'm not. Are you? But if we're not working, if we're not striving toward sanctification, toward holiness, it's just puff and smoke. Be consecrated. Live lives of consecration. Our obedience to law reflects the nature of the King. It's 1010. Any comments or questions? Okay, I'm going to pray. Father, would you grant Hearts that are broken and humble before you. That we would, from the heart, cry out for deliverance from this body of death that we currently dwell. Knowing that you are faithful and true to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess Christ when we acknowledge our sin when we confess that you are right and we are wrong you forgive us and you are faithful to your covenant with us through Christ make us faithful help us to wear the fragrance of life to life to portray the nature of the king well and not bring reproach upon him by how we live though we may spout all kinds of doctrine it's important to learn stuff it's more important to live it we pray for hearts that are focused on living it out not just among our Christian friends but out in the world as well distinct not Taking on the character of the rotting meat, but remaining salt and all of its benefits because you have made us to be salt and consecrated us for the purpose of sharing your covenant with a broken and decaying world. Make us faithful. Make us faithful, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.